Welcome to Murderous Roots, a podcast that explores the family history of killers. I'm Denise, and with me is Zelda. Now, let's get started. Zelda. Oh my gosh, Denise, it's so good to see you again. How's your week? It's been busy. You know, the kids are home. Good. And crazy. Keeps you off the streets. <laughs> Something has to. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what my husband believes. He likes to call me a troublemaker, but I know it's the quiet ones that are the troublemakers. Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. So. But you know what happened since the last time we talked? No, what? I bought a car. Ooh. I know. I, I'm feeling very fancy. I think fancy. that came up on the last episode that we just talked about. Oh, you know what? You're probably right. I have to tell you, my brain has been such oatmeal this week, just with everything going on. I understand. So I'll just cut that part out. So awesome. <laughs> big deal. It's all good. Or leave it in. People should know, you know, okay. <laughs> at the very, at our very best. We're still. How about we try this? Have you had a chance to go and drive your car around the city? I have. I actually went grocery shopping today. And I know, right? It's like, but the life I lead is so glamorous. Um, But it was fun to just go on my own without having to make any arrangements and walk into the store and not have to worry about anybody waiting on me or how I was going to get home. And it was lovely. So, and it must be fun with this new vehicle because we talked about it last time mm-hmm. to be able to park in your actual parking spot. Yes, <laughs> that you've had for a few years. Is it a yeah. year now? No, two, 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 two years going on three. Wow, I've been there wow. a while. I know, but yeah, it's um, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So, I I am sad actually now that it's like oh now that my life's getting back to normal I'm leaving. But okay, so. By the time this airs, the stuff with me going on will be over, <laughs> but my girls are getting ready to go on a two-week trip with their grandparents, Fun. and we ran into some issues. Oh, no. And I will say the company name. I'm not shy. I've told them what I thought. Avis Rental Car. So my dad arranged to rent a 12-passenger vehicle, mm-hmm. like a Ford Transit, months ago, because they've been planning this trip for months. And then he got a phone call early last week saying, you know what? We're not going to have that vehicle for you after all. Wow. Yeah, that didn't go over well. I tried to reach Avis. My parents tried to reach them. They just said, oh, we're just sorry. They're just in demand. And I'm like, but if you book, shouldn't you give priority to the person who's booked Mm -hmm. months out and stop this BS of like double booking? And Mm -hmm. I just, I hate that. But... Here's the good news. So at first they were looking for another one. And of course, everybody's upcharging now because the demand got higher. Mm -hmm. So it was going to cost them double, if not more. I mean, I found one that they could rent and it was going to be $4,400 for that time. Wow. Two weeks. Yeah. You could almost basically buy a used one and then sell it back and still pay less. Mm -hmm. Although that's not a bad idea, actually. No, it really isn't, (laughs) especially since they're in such high demand. Mm -hmm. So they contacted a different Avis and they were told, oh, we'll have it. But, you know, things might happen. So that left my family feeling a little uncomfortable. My sister and I are desperate to get rid of the kids for a couple weeks at this point. (laughs) (laughs) We love our kids, 
but <laughs> we want a break. And we did everything in our power. And I happened to find a place not far from me because they're going to, when they're doing the trip, they're going to drive up to my house. Mm-hmm. Then they were going to get the van up here and then continue on. And I found a place not far from me that it's a local business. And they're like, well, we might have one. Let us look and we'll get back to you in a couple of days and whatever. And they did. And wow. it's going to cost less than what that backup vehicle was. A little bit more than the original price they got. But we've learned a lesson from this. If you're renting a specialty vehicle, go with a local business. Mm-hmm. Not one of those chain rental agencies. You can't trust them. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and right now, I mean, rental cars are, are just horrifically expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, with the kind of work I do, we all travel a lot. And, yeah. you know, the reports we're getting back from some of the cities is that they're, you know, quadruple five and six times what they normally are. So, um, and of course, when you're there on business, you have to pay it because, right. you know, you need the car and you need to conduct your business. But it is astonishing to me how much they're price gouging right now. It's insane. And I think part of the problem coming up with some of like these vehicles, like the vans, because it was hard to find a van that was available, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people, even though people are getting vaccinated and everything, they don't necessarily want to get in a tuna can Mm -hmm. called a plane to travel. So you have a lot more people traveling by driving Mm -hmm. and doing these driving adventures because we even looked into RVs. I mean, that's a whole different racket there. Yeah. People are renting out their own RVs, but this is like, I mean, I was laughing so hard going, you got to be kidding me. When I discovered they were charging per mile if you went over 100 miles in a day. Wow. There was one RV, a couple of people who were doing that if you went over 50 miles in a day. I'm like, what's the point of having an RV mm-hmm. if you're limiting it to 100 miles? Mm-hmm. It seems a little suspect and ridiculous yeah. to me, but... There you go. What do I know? (laughs) But it's all worked out. We're excited. My girls are thrilled. So that'll be so much fun. Yeah, I can't wait. We should probably step get back into. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. There's, (laughs) There's death to discuss. Yes, we have death to discuss. So we'll start that. So this is another mini soap, but it might end up being longer than a mini soap. Because I realized there was more there than I knew. And then I ran into a few things that had me going, what's going on here? And I had to dig in a little deeper and found all sorts of interesting details. So this might be more like a regular episode, but that's not so awful, right? Yeah. We'll see if they stick with us. Yeah, hopefully, because this one's a good one. And this came about because of our episode on Bell Star. Mm-hmm. And I, I said it at the time, and I said, oh, we'll have to do a mini-sode on him because we, I discovered one of the suspects in her murder was a serial killer. Dun-dun-dun. By the name of Edgar A. Watson, or in some cases, Edgar J., because he changed his middle initial at some point, and nobody knows why. Curiouser and curiouser. He is. So what do you have for us? Well, I have to tell you, you know, it, it, this whole story was just crazy town. It was mm-hmm. crazy town. And so, you know, as you mentioned, he came to our attention because he was the potential murderer of Bell Star. Mm-hmm. At that point, he was known as Bloody Ed. That was a nice little nickname. 
And oddly enough, he killed her over a land lease dispute, allegedly, of course. And then he killed some other people over kind of the same issue, which I thought was, you know, odd. Apparently he has a thing for being part of the landed gentry. (laughs) So now Ed was the firstborn of Liege and Minnie Watson. And the date I found for his birth was November 11th, 1855, and born in South Carolina. And and that's true. But his his, um, mom was not Minnie Watson, was it? I, I had the that it was Minnie Watson, and then their daughter was also named Minnie Watson. Oh, it probably is. I'm sorry. I probably got confused. No worries. When Ed was still a kid, and not yet known as Bloody Ed, his mom ran away from his abusive asshat of a dad, taking Ed and his little sister, also Minnie, with her, where they lived with relatives in Florida. And as far as I can tell, these Minnies were never murdered, so they bucked the odds, mm-hmm. because Minnies tend to die. So, yes, which we've learned and we discussed. We have learned. (laughs) Now, sadly, Ed did grow up to be an even bigger, genuinely evil dude than his dad. Now, he married several times and had several children and eventually abandoned all of them. He was a handsome devil, tall, red hair, blue eyes, and apparently really personable when he wasn't trying to kill you. So now Ed spent much of his life flitting around. Obviously, born in South Carolina, moved to Florida as a child. As an early 20-something, he got bored and he left for Arkansas and then Oklahoma, where he was up to some pretty shady stuff. And eventually, likely, but only allegedly, killed Bell Star, which meant he then had to run away again. Now, of course. exactly when all his crimes occurred seems kind of flexible, because there's various dates claimed for things like general thievery and horse stealing. And, you know, when he was back in Florida, he slashed a man's throat in a barroom brawl. The man lived, but Ed had to pay a small fortune to get out from under the charges. And then, because he can't seemingly help himself, he killed a man in Arcadia, ran to relatives in Lake City, where he shot a man, had to run again, this time to the Florida Keys. He was never actually charged with any murders, though. No. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, he had some money, though. He could be part of it. He did. He absolutely did. Now, and he probably had information on people who needed that information being kept quiet. Mm, true now of course back in the day the keys were where folks went who didn't want to be found Mm. there wasn't much actual law there and ed took full advantage of that so when he first got there he worked around the everglades for about 10 years doing god knows what but eventually got together enough money to start a 40 acre farm chatham ben key in the early 1900s growing sugar cane and vegetables for the new york market now his pot his products were popular and he did really well for himself So he probably could have lived a nice life for himself just doing the farming. But, you know, that's not our boy, is it? So No, no. He also distilled and sold bootleg rum. He kept buying more acreage to expand his farm, which isn't illegal. But how he got his money was a little sketch. And he would (laughs) boat around the beaches of Florida getting cheap labor and running stolen goods. Now, how did he get such a good deal on farm workers, you might ask? Easy breezy. He refused to pay them, and when they got a little bit bothersome about it, he killed them and disposed of their bodies. <laughs> I know, right? It's like He's one of the worst I think we've come across. I mean, just the cold, calculated nature of how he mm-hmm. killed. Because he didn't have to be mad at you. You said be in his way, you know? Right. And they found, after he died, they found about 50 bodies on his farm. Yep. And they feel that he actually killed quite a few more people than that, given how much farm labor was involved. And right. how he never paid any of his farm labor. Um, so he probably dumped others in the ocean, as one does. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. So he also killed two men who were squatting on some property he'd just purchased. Literally, they said to him, we'll leave once we harvest our crops. And Ed said, hell no, and killed them and got to keep their crops too. So he had an issue with patience. Yeah, apparently. He gave redheads a really bad name. Like, he is the definition of what people think redheads are. Like a terrible stereotype, right? Yeah. Oh. It's awful stereotype. They're not usually that bad. Horrible human being. Horrible. Mm-hmm. So about this time, Ed's neighbors are getting a little wound up about this bloody Ed guy. But the sheriff wouldn't do anything about him because their county didn't actually have a sheriff. And the one from the county over was all, not my circus, not my monkeys, much mm-hmm. like sheriffs today. Yeah, it hasn't changed a whole lot. Oh, no. Well, the final straw came when several people hanging out at Ed's house, ruffians all, killed some of their own band of misfits, including an older woman by the name of Hannah Smith, a well-known local alligator hunter. When She the, sounds cool. She kind of does. And she was six feet tall and apparently quite large. So I feel like mm-hmm. she and I were kindred spirits. Yes. When the neighbors found her body buried in a shallow grave, they got all, what cannot be defended must be avenged. And they just had enough for Bloody Ed and waited at the boat landing at Chocoloxi for him to return. When Ed saw the crowd meant to strong arm him to get into the law, he tried to shoot them because that's how Ed does things. Well, in this case, it was a little bit of self-defense to a degree. (laughs) Well, alas, his gunpowder was wet. It didn't fire. And he was gunned down before he could reach for his pistol. And then because... They were a little irritated with the man. They dragged his body behind a boat, eventually burying him in a shallow grave with a rope tied from his neck and the rope looped around a tree. When his wife was informed where he was buried, literally told, he's in this area, look for the rope. Mm -hmm. She reportedly said, eh, just bring me his watch. (laughs) The sheriff did come down to Chokoloski after that, took a number of the residents back to Fort Myers for a court session, a little bit of an inquest, but nothing came of it. Sometimes mm-hmm. people are just like, mm, man needed killing. So, which is true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, if you can't contain it, you know, there aren't a lot of choices. Now, it seems like all his kids did not actually take after their dad, but Denise will know more about that. They seem to have grown up to be good citizens, no doubt, thanks to their long suffering mothers. <laughs> oh, they did suffer. And did you, you might have said this. Did you mention how he would sometimes take in um, people who were trying to run from the laws as workers as well? I didn't mention that. I just kind of figured that was a given. But yeah. Or about the hurricane? Uh, The hurricane is, you know, when they found the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That was fabulous, Miss Zelda. And so we want to learn about his family. (laughs) Or do we? Mm. Um, Yeah. Seriously. So let's first start with his name. His name was Edgar Artemis Watson. But for some reason, it was after he left Oklahoma and um, Arkansas area, he changed it to Edgar J. Watson. I have no idea what the J stood for, but he would show up as Edgar J. in documents and stuff after that point. But it was the same guy. It was very weird. So we're good. So who was he? Where did he come from? What brought this temper to him? We may never have all the answers, but we have some clues. You talked a little bit about his father. I'm going to go a little bit further back to start. There is evidence that his second great-grandfather was Revolutionary War Captain for the South Carolina Militia, Michael Watson, a soldier who actually died while battling the British. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Captain Watson had led his mountain militia with a Captain William Butler, and they learned of a loyalist camp in Dean Swamp near Orangeboro, South Carolina. Hmm. And they headed there hoping, you know, they, they decided to go there quickly in haste around sunset, thinking that they could surprise the loyalist. What Captains Watson and Butler didn't know was that the loyalists had been warned by a captured man who had escaped. Oh. So, to their surprise, they were ambushed when they arrived, and several patriots died at the site of the battle. Captain Michael Watson did survive the battle, but he was seriously wounded, and he was removed. Now, they're not sure if he was removed to the camp that we're at or if he might have been returned to his home. But soon after he, he arrived, he died on May 26, 1782, at the age of 56. Wow. His wife was Martha Watson, a mere 20 years his junior, <laughs> and his first cousin. Well, they did those sorts of things. Yes, but that might be a clue <laughs> to the you never know. Now, his grandson was Artemis, and he was the son of Elijah Sr. and the grandfather of Edgar. And he was born in 1801, but he lived a very short life, dying at age 40, leaving his children orphans as their mother, Lucretia Daniel, had died four years previously at the age of 29. Naturally, the children were dispersed amongst family and friends, and I can only imagine the difficulty and challenges and anger this may have inspired especially during the antebellum South in a slave-owning family, where if you're angry, you have a place and a person to unleash your anger at that's accepted, sadly. Because, let's be clear, Edgar's father, Elijah Daniel, son of Artemis, was not a kind man. He was known to be violent and volatile. But we'll come back to that in a bit. First, let's talk about Edgar's mom's line. Now, you said Minnie, and I never saw Minnie, and it could be that I just skipped over it, but her, that's not the name I have for her. So, Edgar's mother is a bit of a mystery. I say this because while someone on Find a Grave made a connection to certain people as her parents, I cannot make that connection. So, let me explain. Edgar's father, Elijah, married Ellen Catherine Addison on January 25th, 1855 in Edgefield County, South Carolina. This is an that far from the capital of South Carolina. So just so you know, if you're curious, where's that? There was a prominent Addison family in Edgefield at the time of her birth in 1830, the Captain Allen Bartlett Addison family. Now, Allen was a planter with a large plantation with over 65 enslaved individuals in 1840. Then, based on his will in 1850, it had increased to at least 75. Wow. His land was valued at $21,500 in 1850. That would probably be close to a million dollars now. So I can understand tying Ellen to this family based on the location alone where she got married and thinking, oh, well, she's an Addison. She must belong to that family. However, as I said, I wasn't able to make that connection because I did go through Ellen's will. Being that he had a large estate, he had a will, or at least he was going to have a probate. <laughs> he had a will and he had the probate records were available for me to look through. The will named three children and eight grandchildren. Not one was named Ellen Catherine. There was an Ellen Patience Addison, but she was only five years old at the time and not the right age. So unless Ellen was somehow disowned and thereby disinherited, 
she cannot be his daughter, despite what some trees try to claim. Mm -hmm. But again, I get why you might think it, but it's not the case. In 1850, I did find an Ellen Addison living with Henry and Mary Meats, along with Anne, Anne Addison, Elizabeth Addison, and Hampton Addison, who would be her siblings. And they were living in Lexington, South Carolina. Now, this is most likely the Ellen that married Elijah. And it's conceivable that Mary was married to an Addison prior to her marriage to Henry. And this was a remarriage due to death. But I've been unable to verify who the father was, much less any more information on Mary herself. So I'm kind of at an impasse on that one. But I do believe that her maiden name was Mary Russell. That's all I got. I will say that while not as well off as Alan Addison, Major Henry Meats did well for himself, being politically active in Lexington, South Carolina, as well as a, a lawyer who was also a slave owner, holding 13 in captivity in 1850 and 14 in 1860. I have no idea of their names because not all that was available. Ellen's mother, Mary, died in October 1860. From many reports, the marriage between Ellen and Elijah was rough. Elijah, or Lige, is that how you pronounce it? I just made it up, so I'm sure I wasn't pronouncing it correctly. Okay, I can't remember. I I think it's Lige, but... That makes sense for Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. Um, Worked for many years as a farmer, or farm laborer, in Edgefield County. And he also ended up developing a nickname called Ring-Eye Watson, Hmm. or Ring-Eye Lige, or Lige Watson, (gasps) Tell us the story, Denise. (laughs) We'll We'll get to the story. Ten months after Ellen and Lige married, Edgar was born. A daughter, Mary, called Minnie, as you mentioned, followed just over two years later. Lige was a mean and abusive husband and father. He followed the footsteps of those before him, enslaving four women and girls and six men and boys. Ten people to rule under his thumb. And that was in the 1860 census I found that, the slave schedule that I found that. While I have no doubt he was a cruel slave master, I have to wonder if he was that way with his family at the start or if something snapped during the Civil War. In December 1861, Lige enlisted in his brother Tillman's company of the 19th South Carolina Infantry Regiment as a sergeant. But six months was too long for him, or so it seemed. His unit fought at the Siege of Corinth in northern Mississippi, a month-long battle of the Blue versus the Gray, starting on April 29, 1862. Exactly one month later, the troops retreated, and I should say the Confederate troops retreated at nightfall, hoping not to be followed. Then on June 28, 1862, Lige appears on a consolidated list of deserters. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The last place Lige had been seen was Tupelo, Mississippi. 50 miles south of Corinth. Now, from all the records I can find, I see no indication that he was a prisoner of war, although it's possible, but he did end up rejoining his unit at some point. After the regiment left Mississippi, they spent many months in Kentucky and Tennessee. Again, another report of Lige deserting happened in November 1862, the last time being seen at Tullahoma, Tennessee. So I wonder where he was going. Was he taking breaks? (laughs) getting captured and just not listed and then released, we may never know. By this time, though, his year was about up. Then, on July 15th, 1863, despite him disappearing, so this is why I think it might have been legitimate reasons he disappeared. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But he re-enlisted. 
this time as a private in the 6th South Carolina Cavalry, Aiken's Regiment. That's curious. Yeah. Funny thing is, he didn't report straight for duty, though. In fact, he was absent for the rest of July and all of August when someone ordered him to report by September 1st. Then in December, Lige was granted a furlough to arrest a deserter. Yeah, I found that fascinating. On June 1st, 1864, Lige was detached by Major Green for the hospital. I found his final discharge in May 1865 as part of his unit's surrender to the Union. I did stumble on some records I'm not sure I fully grasp. Because I've never seen these types of records before with my family or anybody else yet. But I thought they were really cool. And this is what I found. On December 30th, 1864, there's a copy of a promissory note from the Confederate States of America for $25 of old currency. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not probably worth very much. Um, with a note that the new currency made it worth $14 when he cashed it. Wow. Yeah. This wasn't the only check I found. I found one for $315. New currency worth $210 when he cashed it from earlier that month. I kept going back. I found more payments, and it was under hired labor. Now, he's in the militia, so I'm finding that confusing. But I believe this was payment for his work as a soldier, maybe, because it does have references to Aiken's regiment. But I also wonder if his job became one of finding deserters mm-hmm. for the regiment. After he got released that one time to do it, this became his regular job. And he got paid as he did it. As I went through more, I found when he was detached for the hospital, it was not because he was ill or injured. It was so he could work at the hospital oh. in Columbia, South Carolina. And it seems like his job was for supply acquisition because I saw a few notes where he's gathering food for the hospital. During that time when he wasn't enlisted from December 1862 to July 1863, he was still probably working for the Confederate States of America in Texas because I found a payment of $25 in August as a teamster driving a team from Brownsville, Texas to San Antonio. Wow. So it's likely that Lige was away for the whole of the war, or at least the vast majority from his family. Wow. And after he returned home, he was referred to as quick to fight and a drunk. Now, I did find the first reference to Elijah's behavior in the Intelligencer of Newspaper House, South Carolina, on December 16, 1869. That said the following, When the afternoon performance of the circus was nearly over, a difficulty occurred under the canvas between two men, Frank Warren and Elijah Watson, in which the former struck the latter... So Frank hit Elijah over the head with his own pistol, knocking him down, but inflicting no injury. Oh, my God. So apparently he got in a fight at the end of the circus. Wow. I wonder what that was about. Yeah, same here. Then five years later in the Intelligencer on September 24th, 1874, in a barroom fracas at Graniteville, South Carolina, last Thursday night, Elijah Watson shot and killed Lawrence Wise. Wow. Then I found a better article that explained exactly what happened and this is in a paper called the daily phoenix on september 20th 1874 homicide at graniteville last thursday evening a difficulty occurred in ap paget's bar room between lawrence wise and elijah watson both white resulting in the killing of the former by the latter in the course of conversation watson cursed wise 
who thereupon told him not to say that again, as he would shoot him if he did. Watson repeated the opprobrious epitaph when Wise drew a pistol and fired at him, but without effect. Wise then started down into the cellar when Watson pointed his pistol at him and fired. The ball struck Wise under the right arm and came out as far as the skin near his spine. Wise fell and was again fired at with a double-barrel shotgun by a man named Jeter Altry, a friend of Watson. The shot, however, did not strike him. Wise died in about 20 minutes. Yesterday morning, Watson and Autry, the latter charged with being an accessory to the killing, were arrested and carried to Aiken. Watson, who is from Edgefield, is said to be a desperate character. He killed a man named Randall in Aiken about eight years ago. Wise leaves a wife and four children. He was a gallant Confederate soldier and served throughout the struggle. So this was not the first man Lijah killed. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. And I could not find any newspaper articles on the man named Randall that he supposedly killed. If What is crazy to me is like they, the Watson men seem to get away with murder a lot. <laughs> they do. Now his situation's a little bit different at the beginning because he came from a well-respected family, mm -hmm. a well-respected family with a lot of money mm -hmm. and power and influence. So I think that helped him skate by. Well, and I think too that, you know, had the Southern states not been assholes, then, mm -hmm. you know, they wouldn't have had to go through that whole, let's take their property away from them thing, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, and by property, I mean their land and such and not right. like the humans because the humans needed to be let go no matter what. Right. However, I mean, okay, getting it, getting it just a smidge of the politics at the time. I mean, the border states that didn't leave the union were still allowed to have slaves. Right. So I'm just looking at this going, who does he blame for all of this? It's obviously not the Confederates. Even though it's their fault, his life went to crap. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. And well, and I also think for him, maybe when he was at war, he got a taste for the violence mm -hmm. to a degree. Like he might have been a cruel slave master. Mm -hmm. I, I'm assuming he probably was. Mm -hmm. So he already had that touch of violence in him. Mm -hmm. The war sets it off more, but now he's home and he doesn't have humans to abuse. Mm -hmm. That's accept, considered acceptable abuse because they're not considered people to them, which is disgusting, but that's a whole different... Did, did his wife stick with him through all this? He was, She was with him, I think, to this point. And that's what I was about to say. It's around this time that I believe Ellen found the courage to take her children and they headed for Florida. Now, I've seen some articles saying that she left in 1878, but I'm sure that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. I think this is when she left, at least between here and 1878. And I saw an article saying that she had, had family in Florida and that's where she went. But I wasn't able to find her on certain census records where I could see that she was with family. Okay. Like I couldn't find her in the 1880 census, Okay, which is very frustrating for me. But wait, there's more for Lige. Oh my gosh. So Ellen and the children have left. So this is a few years later, an hour before a man named McAvoy was supposed to be hung for murder he decided it was time to tell his jailers who killed a man by the name of W.E. Sawyer Jr. in February 1874. And this is in 1878, by the way. So we're a few years down the line, so he's going to let them know what happened four years ago. Sawyer had been shot in the back of his head, and then the house was put on fire, burning down the house and leaving little of his body. His remains were pretty much gone wow. by the fire. 
McAvoy told his jailers that the man responsible was Solomon Altman. Altman, in turn, said he had nothing to do with the murder, but he knew who did. Milton Watson and his first cousin, Elijah Daniel Watson, Edgar's father. Wow. Now, both Watsons were arrested, but they denied the crime. All three were tried in July 1878. Altman was found guilty of manslaughter with sentencing recommendation of mercy. And the Watsons were all found not guilty. Wow. Now, ultimately, the judge sent Altman to prison for life, even though it was a manslaughter with mercy recommendation. Mm -hmm. He did appeal it, and his sentence was, he was resentenced in 1885 to 23 years. Mm -hmm. Now, what I do find interesting are all the stories that Lige was a penitentiary warden. So you see these articles, and they're all saying he was a jail warden. Mm -hmm. Yet I found nothing to support that. Not one newspaper article said that he was, not the census. In fact, in every census, he was listed as a farmer. Interesting. Or a farm laborer. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be he did have a job there at some point, but I don't believe it was consistent <laughs> at any level. Wow. Elijah would die at age 64 in South Carolina in June 1897, alone. Now, not too long after Ellen Watson and her family left, they settled at Fort White, Florida. And like I said, I think this was between 1874 and 1878, the latest probably being 1877. And it was in Fort White that her daughter Minnie met, then married William H.C. Collins in April 1878. They would have at least three children, Julian, Edgar, William, and Mary. The couple would die fairly young, William at 58 in 1907 and Minnie at 54 in 1912. Edgar married just seven months after his sister did to Anne Mary Collins, but she went by the name Charlie. Interesting. And yes, I heard that little gasp. She was the sister of William Collins, husband to Edgar's sister, Minnie. The marriage would only last 10 months as Charlie died in September 1879. I have no idea the cause. In January 1882, Edgar married again, this time to Jane Deal. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's D-Y-A-L-L. They would have four children together. In fact, when Bellstar was killed, Jane was only one month pregnant with her youngest, Lucius. Wow. And whether or not she knew she was pregnant, we'd have to ask her, but she's not available. (laughs) Oh, and before I forget, I have a a postmaster alert, sort of. Oh, I like that. It's, It's peripheral. Charlie, Edgar's first wife, her father had been a postmaster. Oh, that's why that all turned out okay. (laughs) Okay, so by 1900, Edgar and Jane no longer lived together. But I don't believe they ever actually divorced. Okay. Now, in the book Bone by Bone by Peter Mathiason, part of the, it's part of a fictionalized three-part series or trilogy about Edgar, Bloody Ed had two common-law wives while he and Jane were separated. First to Henrietta Daniels, then Mary Josephine or Josie Jenkins. Mm -hmm. And each of these women supposedly had his children. Of course, I found that today, that information, and I set out to verify it. And we'll get there a little bit later. But let's just leave you hanging for a minute. Because we're going to start by discussing the children of Jane and Edgar. And their first child was Robert Walker Watson, born in October 1882 in DeLand, Florida. Now, Peter Mathiason lists a Robert Briggs Watson as the son of Edgar and his first wife, Charlie, born in 1879. 
at the beginning of his book, he has like a little thing about his family tree, just so you can kind of see who gets talked about, I guess. I haven't read the book. So as far as I can tell, if this is true, then that Robert likely died before 1880 because Edgar in the 1880 census lived on his own with like, I think he was boarding with somebody as and working as a farm laborer. And I couldn't find a Robert Watson near him with any family members at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's unlikely. I believe it was a mistake that Matthias made because he lists Edgar and Jane as only having three children. And like I said, they had four. And the child that's missing between Edgar and Jane is Robert. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there was a little confusion there. Robert had his birthday listed as 1881 at one point and 1882 at a couple other points. I believe it was 1882. Okay. Robert was on his own by 1900, though I'm not sure where. <laughs> Possibly Chicago. I have a little hints of this. Oh. In 1910, though, I know he left the United States, immigrating to Alberta, Canada. Three years later, he married another immigrant, this one from London, England, Mary Elizabeth Johnson. They would have three daughters and one son before divorcing around 1935. Robert worked as a hotel manager and made a brief return to the United States by 1940, living and working in Chicago. But ultimately, he would return to Canada, specifically Victoria, British Columbia, where he died in 1978 at the age of 95. Oh, wow. Well, that's a beautiful place to live. Yes, and he never had any other contact with his siblings, I don't believe. It's like he disappeared from their lives, and it could be because of his dad, Mm -hmm. which wouldn't surprise me. Because even on some of his siblings on their um, obituaries, and they say this person has these siblings still living, mm-hmm. he's never mentioned again. Wow. So. Wow. Now, their daughter Caroline, or Carrie, was born in 1885. So it was surprising for me to find her getting married at age 14 in July 1899 to 26-year-old Walter Galloway Langford in Fort Myers. Ew. Yeah. And actually, there's some people that say that she was 13. Oh, my God. But I found the marriage record, so I'm pretty sure she was 14. But, yeah, not cool. Now, anytime the census asked how old she was, she always lied and said 15. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, it makes me think that the marriage might have been prompted to get away from her dad another way. Mm -hmm. It was an escape hatch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that he had no contact with her. I think there was potentially, but she wanted out of his house Mm -hmm. and that was a good way to do it. True. Mm -hmm. But was it the frying pan into the fire? I don't know. I I don't think it was because what she, the life she got on the surface sounds like it was a good life. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain. Walter provided very well for his family. He was a banker in Fort Myers and did well enough to employ a cook to work and live in their home as well as someone to manage the estate. So he had some money. And he wasn't just someone who worked at the bank. Oh, no. He actually organized the first national bank in Fort Myers in 1907. Oh. He was 34 when he did that. And he married the daughter of an outlaw. Yes. That's crazy. Wow. But they got they got married before it got really known what an outlaw his father-in-law was. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And he served as the president of the bank. Now, the bank doesn't exist anymore. But I did 
do a quick mini dive into the bank and I learned something kind of fascinating. I might have to provide a link so people can go and look if I can find it again. But apparently there was a time where banks printed their own money. I did not know that. Well, at least this bank did for like a number of years. They printed their own U.S. currency. Really? Yes. I, I mean, I knew that they did things like promissory notes and stuff. Nope. This was bank U- notes, Yeah, this was but... U.S. currency. And apparently if, you, if you're a collector and you get the money that got printed from this bank, it's worth a lot. Interesting. Yeah. I found that really cool. Now, sadly, Walter didn't live a long life. He died of apoplexy in November 1920 at the age of 47. Oh. Yeah. He did not leave his large estate to his wife or children. Not exactly. Instead, he put it all in a trust at his death, giving them payments decided upon by who was handling the trust on regular payments. I think he phrased it in his will. And then, um, hold on. And he also made sure to say, make sure my children get their education that they need and those types of things. So Carrie never remarried again. And she lived to the ripe old age of 76. But she also didn't sit back idly living in the wealth after Walter died. I mean, she had enough to care for her for several years. I don't know if it was long enough for the rest of her life. But she was 36 at his death. Or 35, I should say. So that's Mm -hmm. a long time and probably not enough but instead she invested her money and in restaurants around fort myers as well as a beach hotel good on her yeah that's awesome and i did see um an ad i'll place on the website it's for one of her she had a casino as well oh that's fun so she was a businesswoman it's a smart girl yeah but that isn't to say she didn't run across a few bumps along the way I found the following article in the news press. This is out Fort Myers on November 25th, 1935. Beach blaze burns Langford Place at Fort Myers Beach. Fire of undetermined origin early this morning destroyed Mrs. Carrie Langford's store, dining room, and living quarters at Fort Myers Beach. The fire department was summoned from Fort Myers, but when they arrived at 2 o'clock this morning, the Langford establishment was a blazing mass of ruins. Mrs. Langford, Mr. and Mrs. Ed Blights, that, that's his her daughter and son-in-law, and their children had retired and barely escaped from the blazing building. Their efforts to throw water on the fire, which spread rapidly to the two connected buildings, were futile, and nothing was saved except two small boxes of groceries. The loss was estimated by Mr. Flights as close to $7,500. Yeah. The new dining room was not quite completed, and there was no insurance on the two connected buildings. Oh, my. Yeah. And, and there's a reason for this I'm coming to. Beach residents were awakened by the blaze, but could do little except to prevent it from spreading to nearby buildings. It was the second major loss for Mrs. Langford within three months. In September, a tropical hurricane wrecked her beach casino. The place she had built was to replace the beachfront establishment which has since been converted into a small hotel by Baron Collier of Fort Myers. Now, she did end up rebuilding some restaurant. She was always busy doing that. Wow. But seriously, though, what a sharp gal. Yeah, she was very on top of it. To say the family was wealthy, though, before his death seems like an understatement. Because the newspaper was quick to report on the sale of their first home and the building of a new home in 1919. Like it was, it made the front page. 
the building oh, of the wow. new home because it was just completed and they had a picture of the house and described everything in detail on the interior of it. Now, of course, this is 1919. They were only in the house for a year before he died. Oh, my. And then it had to be sold after his death as part of the estate. So let's get back to Edgar's children. So he had a son named Edgar as well, Edgar Elijah. And he did well and lived a normal life where he worked as an insurance agent. He married, had three children, and died in Fort Myers at the age of 87. Their last son and last child, this is between Jane and Edgar, was Lucius Hampton, or Colonel, as he was called apparently. And he was born in 1889. And I've got to be honest, Lucius is a little confusing, and I'm not quite sure Hampton was his actual middle name. So I, I saw that on Find a Grave, but I'm not convinced. So either he had he changed his middle name or there were two Lucius H. Watsons born in Florida or Arkansas in 1889 on the same day. One had them having the middle name Hardy and the other with the middle name Hampton or Lucius was a bit of a wild card. I'm going to go with a wild card on this though. <laughs> so I find him marrying a Scottish immigrant by the name of Greta Chambers Welch in 1926 in Florida. Now this marriage was happening on the heels like literally like a day or so after his divorce to Francis O'Meara. Oh my. Yeah, a woman he married in New York City in 1916. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then not only that, he was a really bad husband to Francis because in 1920, I found an article where he was arrested for non-support. Oh, the asshole. Yeah, he was not a good guy. And even then, in 1920, she's living in Miami in a home working or a ho somewhere working as a servant. Oh, wow. So she, she was doing what she could to make do, but he was not there. Now, I guess after he served his time in the U.S. Navy during World War I, he must not have returned to her in their home in Florida at all. I can't help but wonder if Greta knew about his married state before she married him. It may have tipped her off on what was to come for her. Mm. So the couple moved to New York, he and Greta, and they had two children. David Hardy Watson and Greta Watson. By 1940, oh, and I should say this, um, his wife Greta, Greta was a nickname for her name, Margaret. Oh. Um, so, so I find in 1940, Greta is on her own with the children living in Brooklyn. He's living in Florida again, a fisherman. She's listed as married. He's listed as single. Oh, my. Not even divorced, not even widowed, nothing indicating that he was ever married. Lucius married at least once more, to Nancy Roberts, a divorcee in 1956. Wow. They actually remained married until his death at age 80 in 1970. Wow. He, so he just got worn out. Yeah, and he, I think, tended to take a little bit more after his father. Wow. And we'll get to that. So let's get to these mistresses and talk about them. Now, Matthiasen called them common-law wives, but... That would have to mean that he divorced Jane to even mm -hmm. be common law anything. And I don't think they ever divorced. So it's more than likely these were just women he saw as disposable as well. He didn't mm -hmm. spend a long time with either one of them. So again, I don't see that as a common law wife. It was a fling. It was a mistress. It was. Well, and whether or not they knew, whether or not the women knew they weren't really his wife is another thing too. Yeah. Well, I don't think they ever thought they married him either. And Well, I was going to say, to be a common-law wife, you have to be telling people oh, yeah. this is your wife. 
and they have to like intend for it to be an actual marriage and they have to be able to be married. And and even then some states don't even recognize common Mm -hmm. law marriage anyway. In fact, most don't anymore, but yeah, he's just created all kinds of a mess there. Yeah. So I'm going to do this a little out of order and it'll make sense why I'm doing this in a minute. Okay. I'm braced. We'll start with the second fling, Josephine Jenkins. Now Matthias and, did get their ages wrong on this. He thought they were a little younger than they were. I'm sure that's because he had a hard time finding the paper trail for these women. Mm-hmm. It took me a few hours. So much for making this a really mini-sode. Um, but I found her. And that made me so excited. <laughs> Congratulations. You should hear me in here. My, my husband was working from home today. I'm like, I'm so good. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so... Josephine was born in December 1869, likely in Key West. This was a woman who had several children by different husbands. She was married at least five times. Wow. Or should I say four, at least four official marriages, starting with Caleb Parks in 1883 when she was only 14. Oh my gosh. Now, did she know how to make arsenic? Is that how she had so many husbands? I don't think so, but you, you never know. Honestly. Just saying, five husbands, that's a lot. Because her next husband was Joseph Williams. Then she had her relationship with Edgar, followed by a Mr. Hardin. I could never find his first name. I just know there was a Hardin because she had children with the last name Hardin. And finally, Joseph Addison. Her daughter with Edgar was Madeline Pearl Watson. And she was born in April 1895. That's a date actually Matthiasen got right. She thought that she was born in 1895. Spot on. Pearl also married several times. First to William Keene from 19, in 1915, but the marriage ended before 1920 when he, she married J. Earl Helveston. They were married until 1931. Then she married a Doyle James Sims in 1944. They divorced in 1945. I have no idea what happened to her next. The paper trail ended from my end at that point. But I suspect she got married again, and that's why I can't find her. And also, there's no 1950 census out yet, so it's harder to track. Oh, yeah. Fair point there. But that's coming out next year, so. (laughs) Okay, so as I was researching Josephine, I stumbled on Edgar's first fling with Henrietta Daniels when I noticed a Henrietta living with Josephine and her family in the 1885 Florida State Census in Key West. Huh. I'm anticipating you going, how curious. I'm like, yeah, very. It turns out that Henrietta was the stepsister or maybe even half sister of Josephine because Henrietta's mom married Josephine's father. Wow. Yeah. If, wow. If Josephine's mom, I mean, it, I, and I believe that Josephine's mom, I believe they shared a mother. Basically. And her mom had been married to a Daniels before Henrietta. Henrietta, or Nettie, was born in 1866. In 1885, she was a widow. When I found her next, she was marrying Eura James Sands in Key West in 1887. But by 1900, Nettie was boarding at the home of George Rowe, along with her four children. Two by her first husband, the last name was Thompson, and two by Yura James Sands. Maybe. <laughs> so but here's the thing. The, the girls with the last name Sands, were she claimed them to be Yuras. 
Yara was born in the Bahamas. She said their father was born in the Bahamas. So it kind of fits there. But according to Matthiasen, the youngest daughter, Minnie, was the daughter of Edgar. Oh. And this seems likely, given that her sister Mary kept her maiden name as Sands after her mom remarried to their landlord, George Rowe. <laughs> as one does. But Minnie took George's last name. Oh. And she became known as Minnie Rowe. Okay. Nettie would die in Key West in 1938. Minnie spent her life in Key West. She married Wilbert Knowles at age 15, had three children. They were married for 50 years when he died in 1960, and she followed in 1977. Oh, my. Now, how old was he when they got married? Um, I, give me a quick second to double. I'm not sure. I don't, I didn't even write it down. I was like writing notes left and right, but I didn't write that down. Just curious. I mean, they had to be fairly close in age if you lived that much longer. Yeah. Well, no, she lived longer. Well, no, no, but after the marriage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, he, I, I, I want to say he was probably no more than 20. I mean, he wasn't, it would have caught my attention. I would have written it down had it been a huge age gap or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's go back to Edgar and his third wife, because, yes, he married a third time, Edna Catherine Bethia in 1905. This was four years after Jane died. So Jane died in 1901 in Fort Myers, or at least, I don't know if she died in Fort Myers, but I know she was buried in Fort Myers. Now, in the five years they were married, they would have two children, Ruby Helen Watson and Hampton Watson. After Edgar's death, Edna married Mortimer Burkett in December 1911 at Fort Walton, Florida. So she left the whole area they had been living in. She went as close to the north of Florida, she could almost get, but while staying close to the beach. So (laughs) Mortimer would adopt the children and they took his last name. So they were no longer Watsons. And that's the family tree of Edgar Artemis Watson. Or is it Edgar J? We'll never know. Wow. Now I do have a few little notes before we finish off completely. All of Artemis's slaves at his death are listed in his probate record, or at least the the settling of his will, mm-hmm. along with their um, their monetary value that they ranked him at. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I just hate saying that about people. The names and any other info will be on the website. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of names. I want to think. I want to say there's over 80. Artemis had over 80 slaves at that point. The total number they came up with for all the enslaved children, men and women came to a value of $22,625. In today's numbers, that would be around Mm $700,000. I also plan on seeing if I can find out what happened to these priceless human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, No guarantees, but we shall see. Because I do suspect this is a a family where raping of the women was probably commonplace. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some more Watsons. I wish I could get the names of Edgar's. The, the people that he enslaved, but that doesn't seem likely. But I might have one or two because there is um, a resource that I found, the Edgefield County, South Carolina slave records. And it has a list of sales. So you can see where one person went to the next. So hopefully that could be useful to somebody who needs that information. And I'll have as much of that I can, as I can up on the website. So if you're looking for an ancestor and your last name was Watson... 
hopefully that can help you out. Well, gosh, you have taken on quite a ride today, Denise. It, this was a family. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm actually really pleased to hear that for the most part, the children all turned out okay. Yeah. It was just that one son in particular, but I think it's because he probably lived with his father even longer than the other siblings. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the oldest son got out of town as fast as he could and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Um, his daughter got married and was there. And I'm sure there was some sort of relationship and I'm sure he was hitting up his son-in-law for money. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. if that were true. Yeah, but he was kind of stuck there. Mm-hmm. And he stuck with his family. I mean, mm-hmm. so I imagine that got to his head. And I then know. he and then he went and served in the U.S. Navy during World War One. Mm-hmm. So Lucius, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just probably combined elements just made things rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, curiously, so while you were talking about Lucius, I'm like, this man sounds fascinating. And his obituary, it's really easy to find. It's one of the first mm-hmm. things that popped up, and it didn't say who his parents were. Oh, and I was like, huh. I'm like, usually they put who the parents are. I I forgot that they didn't do that. But sometimes you find that in some of the older obituaries. Mm -hmm. It really depends. Mm -hmm. You know, Carrie's obituary references her parents, but doesn't say their names. Mm -hmm. Like she came from a South Florida pioneers to the area, Mm -hmm. but they don't say the names. So Mm -hmm. very similarly distancing from who that was. And I also wonder if, Lucius's wife, you know, his third or fourth, whatever wife she was, knew Mm -hmm. who he came from. Right. Right. Or if if he even shared that at that point. That's got to be hard on the kids. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I'm sure he was abusive. Yeah. I mean. I would not be shocked. I mean, he could be charming from all I read when he wanted to be. But when you're at home and you let your guard down. Yeah. So this was fun. This was fun. Thank you so much for this excellent roller coaster ride. And like listeners, thanks for listening and hope you have a great week and we will see you all later. Okay. Bye everyone. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Murderous Roots. If you enjoyed our podcast, we hope that you'll subscribe and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and any suggestions you might have for future episodes. You can find us on most social media outlets like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok. You can also find us at MurderousRoots.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-O-U-S-R-O-O-T-S.com, where you can find more materials related to the episode that we just discussed. 